For Christina Vega, life hasn't been normal. Her parents murdered, her life uprooted. A coven of witches have raised her ever since, raised her to hunt the nightmares. A fiendish plot has been hatched to resurrect the Sanguinary, the very same creature that has haunted her since childhood. An army of deadly creatures will stop at nothing to see the Sanguinary return to life. Time is running out, and if Christina cannot stop the resurrection, millions may suffer the same fate as her parents. One thing is for certain, some will not survive the final verse of the Sanguinary Song. Sanguinary Song is my debut novel that is coming out in 2020. And welcome back to Talk is Best. I'm glad to be back after a week off. Um, it's been a crazy week. Um, for those of you who don't know, I got Sanguinary Song back from my editor for the final edits. Yes, the finish line is almost here. Currently, what I'm doing is uh, working on the table of contents. Then I'm going to uh, do the interior design of the book. And then I just got to put the book cover together and... Uh, file for my copyright and once that's said and done i get to um go live with it hopefully in april that's the the goal it's still on um but uh that's where i was last week it's been full speed ahead sort of closing off any of the additions or subtractions i had to made to my story and i i decided it was probably best for me to take the week off you know that and i had some uh family emergencies to attend attend to um, that prevented the show from going on, but, um, today's show, we are going to have Alec back, Alec Pangea, author, good friend of mine, uh, guest for a good portion of these shows, and we're going to be continuing the conversation from his show Tip, or Title in Progress, is what he calls it, and, um, where he talked about um, publishing versus self-publishing and he did the querying process or the process of by which an author who wants to traditionally publish sends their work out to agents to be recognized on a global level and um, I found a really interesting article um, it's a great article it's by DurantsPublishing.com you're going to hear me constantly reference them um, as, as I'm reading their article to sort of give them credit um, as a historian it's very important for me to call out um, who wrote the original articles because it's not my own words, right? And we have a discussion based off of this article and of the topic that Alex started on Tuesday of this week. So with that said, the article was published in March of 15th of 2018. So the article is two years old or just under two years old, but it has a really thought-provoking um concept where we talk about the misconceptions between publishing and traditional publishing. So this week's episode of, of Talk is Best is about those misconceptions and um, sort of give peace of mind to young authors or new authors as we are going to start referring to them um, and um, kind of give them a benchmark for what they can look forward to going into the publishing market. So this episode of Talk is Best with Alec Pangea, author, starts now. What's going on, guys? This is Andrew Bass, and you're listening to Talk is Best.
And welcome back to Talk is Bass, guys. This is your host, Andrew Bass. And I'm joined, as always, by the incomparable Alec Pangea, author. Hello, hello. Uh, (laughs) Alec, you had a very um, interesting conversation uh, this past week on tip. You want to kind of give the viewers a rundown of what you were doing? Sure. So first of all, my new show tip or title in progress is a show all about breaking down the writing business, the self-publishing or traditional publishing business. Since for different book series, I will be both self-publishing and traditionally publishing. We can uh, lob it all together, but mainly it is, it does focus on uh, the indie publishing career and community or industry, not career. So yeah, it is my show that basically breaks down that process. Every week we ask a new question. um, What are the best hashtags to use? What is a good query letter? Why self-publish? Things of that nature. And we, uh, we go online and we check out some sources and I compare my experiences and I encourage other authors on Instagram to do the same. And this past week, my question was the first of a series, actually. Sometimes on tip, we will do a series because they're only an hour long. And uh, we could talk about this stuff for weeks and weeks, you know. Um, so, yeah, I did my first part in why self-publish. That was the question. And we, uh, we arrived at some pretty uh, complex conclusions. Um, I, I would definitely summarize it by saying it depends entirely upon the individual and that individual having a goal and understanding how best to meet those goals and then just realizing what resources are going to get them there. Awesome. Yeah, it was a really fantastic show. I'm really looking forward to the series going forward. But that's exactly what we're going to be doing here on Talk is Bass this week. We're going to um, sort of have a layaway or a layover of um, the conversation. Um, Traditional publishing versus self-publishing. Which one's best for you? And um, I've been looking at articles and there are a lot of interesting articles, one of which being one that I found from a website. It's called uh, DurantsPublishing.com. And in this, um, on this website here, there's an article on traditional versus self-publishing. And it basically hunkers down to uh, what are the misconceptions between the two um, in the modern era. So um, getting us started over here, traditional publishing versus self-publishing. Obviously, Alec, you've been through um, both of those facets. You're just starting, really, your independent author career. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, a lot of these facts, I think, could uh, help you as well going forward. Awesome. So the first thing they uh, really mess around with here is this idea of um, that there are a lot of misconceptions about both um, traditional publishing and self-publishing. Not surprising. And they usually... And they, yeah, and they really um, break it down to five categories. And the five categories are getting representation, mm-hmm. which is something you talked about um, this week, Alec. Yep. Um, number two is timeline. Mm-hmm. Number three is control. Mm-hmm. Number four is marketing. Mm-hmm. And number five is success. Aha. Uh-huh. So um, what we're going to do for the show is we're going to go from the slate down and sort of uh, digest um, what the article um, suggests and, you know, have a nice little conversation. And maybe you could bring some of that to tip um, next week. Absolutely. This is great. So the first bullet point that we're looking at here is getting representation. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we talked a lot about um, what the querying process was and, you know, to query a story, you have to um, send it out to agents and the process can take forever. Mm-hmm. Um, most new authors assume that they reach out to traditional publishers directly by sending their ma- manuscripts. But this article suggests that the model is no longer exists in the current market. And what they mean by that is um, authors don't typically just send their work to, um, to established publishers in order to get a publisher's attention. They tend to hire a literary agent. Yes. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with what a literary agent is, a literary agent is that person, that middleman mm-hmm. who um, you pay to, as an author, you pay for them to represent and pitch for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually really funny. The article actually um, compares them to real estate agents. Sure. Yeah. And essentially that they're a real estate, a real estate agent for your book. Yeah. I was just going to say, what are some uh, examples we could compare a literary agent to for context? Real estate agent is a great one. Bands have managers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like you, you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't uh, try to sell the house by yourself. You don't know the market. You right. don't know the strategies. Absolutely. But the real estate agent would. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's exactly what a literary agent is. He's mm-hmm. a person who ha- is an expert at um, getting your name out there, finding the people that you really want to get your um, book to, and kind of going to bat for you, and you know, making that credibility um, factor for the author. Yep. So, um, with that in mind, uh, liter- literary agents. Um, are very important when it comes to um, both self-publishing and traditional publishing. And that's mm-hmm. something that interests me. Yep. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of research and I've been thinking about getting into the field as a literary agent myself. You have. Especially with all the experience I have, you know, between Seven Horns and working with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, you know, when I think literary agent, um, I think the idea of like a manager, right? Right. Um, and I would have expected that manager would only, for writing, would only apply to authors that are established to mm-hmm. the point where they could get an agent. You know what I mean? Yep. But um, what you see here, though, um, in this day and age is that it's not just uh, established authors that are getting literary agents is also traditional publishers mm-hmm. um, people that are trying to branch out and actually get um, into the heavier market and I think that's really fascinating that um, we actually see that and it of course for um, a new person such as myself you know it might be harder to find a literary agent um, to represent you but um, the thing about literary agents is that if you can land them they could help you grow your, um, your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And anybody can do it. They even have, um, companies, they even have self publishing companies now in this day and age, which are companies devoted specifically to the purpose of sponsoring and promoting a self published author. That's insane. (laughs) And this is, and you know, it's funny because, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the beginning on tip when I was reading Jane Friedman's article on janefriedman.com. But back in the day, it used to be, you know, the way, the way that you published, 
you know, before when everybody used to have, you know, one desktop computer in their home. You remember those days? Remember the days before home computers, right? It used to oh, be yeah. it used to be that if you wanted your print work read by anybody outside of your house, you had to find a company to get it out there for you. And the and the large publishers that hire literary agents were the ones that could get print, you know, printed material into bookstores. And that was your best market. For self-publishers, there were options like Vanity Press, you know, tiny little, you know, mom and pop places, uh, you know, essentially that would you would pay to publish your work on a, in a newspaper or something. And that was seen as, you know, kind of the easy way out. Like you're not going to go through the hoops and the process of publishing correctly. That's how, you know, that's how it was back in the day. But now we're living in a completely different world where everybody shops on Amazon and stores like, you know, like clothing stores and retail stores that have been around here for most of the 20th century are closing down because of it. So now shopping has changed, business has changed and self-publishers have multiplied because of that. And it's funny, like, you know, now traditional publishers are competing. Well, maybe not competing because they still obviously have a lot of money and, and they can monopolize. But but still, they do technically have market competitors in small self-publishing companies that are just designed to give some assistance to a, to an independently publishing author whose book could be could by some chance, you know, if George Lucas can do it. Their book could be popular enough to sweep audiences everywhere and make that, uh, you know, hurt that traditional publisher a little bit financially. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, check out these statistics um, mm-hmm. that are from the article. Um, so according to DurantsPublishing.com, they d- did a, a bit of research themselves. And that they say that in, two th- in uh, 2016, Nelson Literary Agencies um, – agency received over 30,000 queries from authors mm-hmm. 30,000 30,000 I'm, I'm actually surprised that it's that low <laughs> yeah it's crazy but like it continues 30 they, that one particular it's just one um agency they're looking at right yeah that, that nelson literary agency received 30,000 queries from authors and of those 30,000 they requested to read 92 man- manuscripts. About that. 92 of those manuscripts yep. out of 30,000 were the requested to be read. Yeah. And of those 92, they chose to represent three new authors in July of 2016. How about that? So they only took mm-hmm. three of yep. those authors mm-hmm. and represented them. How do, I mean, what do you think about that? Because I, I mean, was, those are pretty daunting numbers. I mean, even if the low, if, 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 even if the submission rate for that particular branch is low. Yeah. Well, I'll answer that, but then I also have a question for you. So first, you know, I mean, that's just like you know, kind of those are earth-shattering statistics. It really makes you realize um, how coveted your work was, and how. Um, perceived how your work was perceived to be successful. Basically, if you were one of three people out of 92 clients who were picked from 30,000 applicants, you know, if you're one of the three that was passed, that basically means they are convinced you, your work can make millions of dollars, can make the, can make them, you know, uh, can make bank. That's what that means. If you're one of three people picked out of that wide, vast margin and, and that kind of, you know, 
that's why uh, a person who is traditionally published will feel it is such an achievement because, you know, they competed first with 30,000 applicants. They then competed with 92 participants and then they were one of three winners. I mean, it's, it's just crazy that in itself, you know, kind of screams, uh, you know, gold, silver and bronze trophy, you know what I mean? But, and then of course there's the, the financial earnings that come with your book being that successful. But I have a counter question for you. What do you think of that whole process? Do you think it's, it's, um, you know, a high honor or do you think it just means that, you know, um, you know, somebody pounced on you and thought that you would make them lots of money. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what are your thoughts on it? Um, well, for me, I think those statistics are a little bit daunting. Uh-huh. I mean, you think about it, everyone thinks that when they finish their book, that their story is, um, you know, top 10 contender. And, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Um, and, you know, not to discredit any authors. It's not what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Nor I. The, the thing about those statistics, though, that you have to really take into consideration is that you're talking about um, that they only took 92 um, manuscripts to even look over. Yep. To even look over. Right. Of those 92, only three were selected um, to be represented. Mm -hmm. And um, as good as those agents might've been, that's, um, you know, you had 92 manuscripts and, you know, what you know uh what 89 of them if i do my math right were rejected and any one of those 89 manuscripts could have been submitted somewhere else and taken that's right they so it's if you're rejected it's not that your book isn't good enough it's just that that particular agent or that particular publisher just didn't see what uh value your story had i mean right we we've here we've heard the horror stories with you know george lucas with Oh yeah, um, J.K. Rowling, all those people, uh, you know, all these people that have oh, yeah. fantastic literary works out, or you know, um, mo- uh, fantastic movies franchises that they were all turned down by somebody. Oh yeah, and it's just crazy when you think about it that someone turned on Harry Potter, or, you know, turned down Harry Potter, turned down Star Wars with how well, big that it's gotten. Absolutely, and and the funny thing about Harry Potter is that according to the article I was reading on. Um, uh, last week on query letters, um, I forget which website it was, but but according to that article, her book was only taken in because the publisher's daughter read it. Like the kid read it and the kid really loved it. So so the parent decided to give it a chance. I mean, think about that, that this that was basically the only person who had faith that this that this children's story, you know, you look at the cover of Harry Potter, you look at the title, you look at the design of the character with the circular glasses and the lightning shaped scar. You know what I'm saying? Um, not that I'm, I'm disparaging any person, of course. Like my point is, when you look at that, there's a lot of that activates a lot of bias in people so much, in fact, that literally the dude was convinced by a child just to give it a chance. Like, that's crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. Basically, no adults at first were willing to take a ch- chance on Harry Potter. And look what happened. Yeah, that, that's absolutely yeah. crazy when you when you really yeah. think about it's, it. It's, it's the most beloved family reading series ever <laughs> for kids and adults. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. But the, the bottom line we're really getting here is that 
traditional publishing and, you know, finding a literary agent for that matter is a painstaking process, you know, it is, yep. um, you know, it's filled with, uh, query letters and rejections and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. the reality with that is it's just not needed with self-publishing. Right. And, you know, virtually anyone could become a self-published author, um, right. you know, if they have the know-how to do it. And right. I, I guess in one retrospect, that could be viewed neg- negatively, but, you know. Well, I would say that self-publishing comes with a different list of needs. But I would say that if you really I, – I, my thing is based on the reading that I've been doing, right, there's – I took a trip I – took, I took a trip to um, – Amazon, and I looked at the top 100 best-selling Amazon authors of all time, and I thought to myself, "This is a good goal." You know, I mean, I have I have ambitions. I have some pretty lofty goals. I don't know if they're going to happen, but I think it's good to still have them, and um, you know, at least push for it. And I thought to myself, "This would be a good goal." Let me see if I could be one of the top 100 best-selling Amazon authors of all time. I wonder who they are. I looked, and it's J.K. Rowling and Stephen King and Jane Austen, and uh, you know. Um, J.R. Tolkien, who's dead. So, I mean, it's like, it, it's, you know, um, anyway, where was I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that to compete on the self-published market to reach the kind of success that a traditionally published off, uh, author has, sometimes that can be just as arduous with self-publishing, but in a very different way. It's, you know, and and it comes with a whole separate list of needs, which I think are very fascinating to talk about. Well, the way I've always viewed it and, you know, uh, self-publishing has grown um, in recent years. But the way I've always looked at it was a lot of first time authors use self-publishing more as a way to establish themselves in the industry. You know, Um, you know, they're publishing um, on their own, learning the market. Um, they'll publish their first book, um, to gain some sort of name Mm -hmm. recognition or, um, you know, try to create like a social following right? or a media presence, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like a new band traveling around, performing at bars and shows and places they can get into trying to get somebody big to notice them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kind of a, kind of a similar principle there, you know, like I shouldn't use terms like big. That's not, that's not how I meant for that to come up, but, you know, trying to get, um, you know, wider recognition somehow at, at at least one of those performances is, is designed to do that. So, I mean, it's the same beginning process for any artist, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's just a method of, of getting your foot in the door somewhere yourself. You don't know where that's going to be. So you just have to keep hitting the market at various, you know, places and angles, which is, pretty much what you and I have been doing recently, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, and I'm going to kind of make a bold statement here. Um, All right. First, I'll talk as fast. Bold um, statement coming. So, you know, I think that there's a reason why self-publishing is more popular now than it has been before, and it's not as frowned upon as it has been before. And mm-hmm. I think the reason for that is is that traditional publishing is such a pain in the butts okay mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. first there i was you know i was feeling it. <laughs> um, i gotta keep it pg just in case any of my uh students are listening uh-huh. um but like you know you look at the process and you know especially like from my perspective you know my book's done you know it's it's ready to go 
Um, it just needs to get the interior done and get the cover design done. And then we're off to the races. But, you know, looking at all the time it took me to put that book together and, you know, I, I know I wouldn't be patient wait, waiting another year just to get analyzed by, you know, a literary agent or, you know, a publisher, you know, it, it, it's it's such a saturated market, I think. And everybody is trying to traditionally publish. Um, so you have all these people that are sending manuscripts in, like you saw the number um, from earlier, 30,000 people tried to uh, traditionally publish. And I bet you a good portion of them um, ended up going to the self-publishing route because of how long it takes and how um, painful the process is. We're self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Once you're done and if you know the market and know yep. have the know-how you can launch as soon as yep. you finish yep we had uh we experienced that on drop a line when ivy now came on ivy had been um you know she she's an award-winning author she published through unbound books which is based out of the united kingdom she uh waited something like i can't remember the number of it was seven or twelve years for her first book to be accepted by a publisher, but seven or 12 years, seven years, even seven years of shopping that thing around, not knowing what was going to happen with it. And she, and she won an award. She is an award-winning best-selling uh, fiction author. And she told me on drop a line um, that she, for her next book, she is self-publishing. Now she has those credentials to her name. She has name recognition. She has uh, experience and she doesn't really feel like going through that process again if she doesn't have to. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think that speaks volumes because she did hit it big. She did get an award. She did get this. She did get that. She, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. She, she was one yeah. of those three people, you know, essentially from the example from before that were selected. And, you know, even, you know, smaller than that, she won an award for her book. So, you know. Mm-hmm. And for her to kind of analyze that situation, be like, you know what, if I could go back, I would do it differently. You know, like in the, in the sense that I wouldn't want to wait seven years, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. That's just the way I look at it. And, you know, I think um, that the traditional market is, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use that word. I, I was going to say more of like a cancer to, to, um, to the um, literary market, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's fair for me to say. I, I, I think well, that it's such, I don't know, maybe a burden would be a better word for it. Well, I think what you're, you're describing here is something that often happens. And, you know, part of me for taking talk is best in this direction for the very first time. You can, uh, you know, you can hit the button if, uh, if I cross any lines here. But, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a, modern day um, critique of capitalism that um, the market creates monopolies. And that's what traditional publishing houses are. They are a monopoly. You know, most people um, are used to seeing their content marketed to them. And the independent artist has to compete not just with thousands of other independent artists, but with that, with all the name recognition and with all of the mainstream media coverage. I mean, it's, it's something that buries you. You know what I mean? That's what happens in a business monopoly. So you're, you're absolutely right that, of course, that is going to be burdensome 
to those who aren't lucky enough to be picked to be picked. <laughs> you know, I mean, especially when you not getting picked doesn't mean that you're not good enough. Of course not. You know, absolutely it, not. It it means that um, somebody didn't have the same faith in your story, like I yes. said earlier. And yes. that's the frustrating part. That's the burden. Right. Because it's like, you know that it's good and you know that uh, people are going to like it. But, right. you know, they didn't take the time mm-hmm. of day to give you um, they give you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you remember one one fellow who was uh, rejected for years and years and years and became very bitter? Uh, so I'm told, you know, that's what the historians say, but became just extremely bitter and unhappy with the standards and the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the realm of thinking and thought process that traditional market um, publishing houses put into what makes a good book. Do you know who that was? I do not. It was J.D. Salinger. Wow. The catcher in the rye. He dealt with rejection forever and he knew he had something, but they just didn't think they could sell him to anybody. And he basically just thought, you guys don't know what art is. You guys are a bunch of crooks. I'm, I'm, you know, he was insulted. He became very, uh, um, the biography I, I watched about him, um, said that he just became very, very unhappy with the traditionally publishing market. He kind of lost faith in it. You know, and now, it, it, yeah, go ahead. Go and ahead. now he's, and now not only is he successful as is JK Rowling, he's actually read in schools, which is, which is, which is, you know, an honor that many of us are not picked for to kind of segue almost into another topic. <laughs> well, I mean, to kind of piggyback off of, you know, that example and the piggy, uh, piggyback off of Ivy's example. You know, the second bullet is timeline. And, you know, I'm just going to read I'm going to read this word for word because it's only a small uh, set of paragraphs. And again, this is from DurantsPublishing.com. It says for a timeline, it's impossible to calculate the exact timeline for traditional publishing. It largely depends on the odds of finding the right agent at the right time. An author could spend years on quarrying alone. However, let's assume that you're at the point where you've quarried and you're now signed to a publisher. From this point forward, it could be anywhere from 18 months to two years before your book um, will be available for sale. And the self-publishing timeline can be anywhere from the immediate to several months. Generally, Mm -hmm. this process is much quicker than traditional publishing route. And most companies are able to... uh, are companies are able to everything from artwork to editing design in under one year i think there's a lot to really break down and digest from that paragraph and like definitely i think this is where i kind of want to start from it so just to go back and look at it um it could take you years to query right so it took yes it took ivy you said what seven years yeah, or, or it might have even been 12, trying to remember. But yeah, yeah, so like a se- anywhere from 7 to 12 years, right? And that was probably somewhere between the quarrying process and from what this says, from the point you're an agent, right? And then to uh, then subsequently to a publisher. From that point, you could be waiting in anywhere from 18 months to two years before your books will be available for sale. That's insane. Just 18 months to two years. 
after you've been signed. Mm-hmm. Yep. How crazy yep. is that? They got a lot of they got a they got a lot of business to do. They got they got a, a heavy schedule. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a big operation, so it's going to take you some time to see anything. I mean, for let, sure. Let's fast for forward sure. to little old me with you know, um, growing experience in self publishing, and you know, um, I wrote the first um, official manuscript for Sanguinary Song in seventy three days, right? Um, by day three thirty, yep. what was it? Three thirty six, three thirty seven. Um, the yes, the final edits. And I mean, final round of edits I mean it's been through several editing uh, rounds and it's finally back and it's done. Right. Um, and here it is. Mm-hmm. We're at, um, you know, what I think I'm at, what, 440 at this point, 440. Yeah, 440. And I'm, you know, just finishing up my table of contents is all I have left before I um, do the interior. So you're, you're talking about in just mm-hmm. under a year, I've pretty much put the entire book together. Oh, I mean, amazing, like, my friend. You, you look I'm at very that timeline, <laughs> and it's not that it's not that I'm, you know, not putting in as much effort or putting in as much time or money or energy in the story. Not it's at just all. That, not you know, at all. With self-publishing, it seems like if you're dedicated to something, you can get it done mm-hmm. very quickly and it be a great product as opposed to traditional publishing oh, yeah. where it's going to be a great product and it's going to be heavily advertised and it's going to be um, worth your time if you can get in. But um, you look at how yeah. much time it takes just to get there. And it's like, yeah, you hear the old, saying you know time is money right so it's like uh-huh. is the amount of time you're waiting worth the payoff that you're right. going to get um down the road or is self-publishing in in the essence the more um economically valuable um solution well it's interesting you say that because i really do think that this is a complex um topic with um, waiting around for something to happen, you know, the assumption is that you're not making any money. Whereas when you're self-publishing and you're you're personally shopping around your book, which is published as much as possible at different fairs and book signings and things of that nature, you could be making money as you go, even if you're not making the, uh, you know, making the impacts that you want to make early on or getting um, the readership that you want early on. You could still be making a buck here and there. However, I do believe that traditional publishing houses, you know, the real deal, um, the way that they do their business is that they buy the rights to your work and you get an advance, a pretty sizable advance and one that may or may not be negotiable. That's I'm not fully aware of that yet. But when I mentioned um, when I mentioned uh, certain business that I had done to someone who has experience studying the traditional publishing market, the very first question they asked was, did you get an advance? And I said, what's in advance? And they almost mm. fell over sideways. They, they were like, oh, it was one of those situations, huh? I was like, I, I don't know. I'm kind of inexperienced. But yeah, so my understanding is that you do get paid when your book is picked. You get paid early. And then they, they basically they're working to make back their investment in the years that follow. So you see some money. 
but but you don't see the uh you know readership and the reviews and the ratings you don't see any of that for a while quite a while yeah and i mean like you know um obviously i'm more biased towards uh self-publishing at the moment where you're more uh towards the traditional publishing or at least in the sense of you're looking into it or at least giving it a chance you know i'm doing i'm doing both that's that's how i feel about it you know i'm not really one way or the other i'm kind of testing both right now and you know um just See, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because if I could say a quick word about myself, I was I was thinking as we were talking about, you know, what my goals are. And the truth is how I publish uh, has nothing to do with my goal. Those are just means to get there. My goal is to be as read by many as many people as I possibly can and to make as many impacts on the lives of other people um, as much as I can. You know what I mean? I want somebody to be writing a fan fiction about me. And and learning to become a writer themselves because they're writing fan fiction. But you know what I'm saying? I want to help somebody. I want to stimulate somebody's mind so fantastically that that they undergo the journey that you and I have. That's kind of my goal. So it's achievable through either method of publishing. What I'm doing is just kind of inspecting everything and seeing what kind of business uh, best suits me. You know, so that's sort of how I look at it. I'm just kind of an early learner. But yeah, but I mean, to it's important to to kind of know where your um, commentary is coming from. And that's why I wanted to bring up my obvious biases toward um, self-publishing. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. having a bias towards something. But, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge where you do have that bias. Um, but, you know, um, you know, it's it's really difficult for me particularly to endure endorse traditional publishing um, at this stage in my writing career, because it just doesn't seem like it's worth it. And like you do mention how, you know, Mm -hmm. most, you know, traditional publishers, you know, give you some sort of an advance or whatever, but, you know, really, like I said, time is money and it's like, all right, well, you know, Ivy, you know, you're talking about seven to 12 years, like you were saying, and it's like in that seven to 12 years, you know, it's like, did, did, uh, did she get that um, bang for her buck? And, you know, for her, mm-hmm. obviously the answer is probably yes. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, oh, yeah. you know, assume to speak for her or anything like that. You know, I would love to have her on mm-hmm. the show and have her sure. opinion on this. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. she be. had, she did ended up uh, getting that award and, you know, in my eyes, if I was to get a, a literary award for my work, I, I would feel like that time was well spent, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it um, it really like I, like I was saying earlier, I really do think that for most people who really want to be successful, like to be successful on the level that you and I are probably thinking where, you know, millions of people are reading their books and retweeting them and reposting them and all that stuff. At least that's something that I, that I would consider to be a goal of mine. Um, to, to, be, to be that successful as a self-published author, I think, is probably an even longer road than traditional publishing. Like just the, the amount of work and time you have to put into it to personally yourself get that many people reading you. I think could be considered an even greater challenge, which is um, what some uh, people I've spoken to who want to traditionally publish 
have said to discourage self-publishing. But on the other hand, um, on the other hand, with traditional publishing, like you're saying, um, it's either going to be bang for your buck or it isn't. You know, you're either going to be picked or you're never going to be picked. And I definitely can see where for some people that is, um, you know, just just very discouraging, like, you know, leaving, you know, some people like to control their own destiny as much as they possibly can, you know, and would I be wrong in saying that describes Well, I you? mean, that's the thing, though. It's like, it's not that I'm not a patient man. You've known me for over a decade. I'm very patient. And sure. I feel like absolutely throughout this process, I've been very patient and I've reevaluated when I needed to. Because if you remember, my original launch date was what? January. And it oh, got yeah. to the point where we got to December and things didn't go the way that I wanted them to. And I, I took a step back and I said, all right, mm-hmm. well. I don't need to realistically launch until around this point. And if I get to this point and, mm-hmm. you know, things aren't going my way again, then it's okay if I push it back again. So, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. not that I'm not um, patient. It's just that um, the way I look at it is I don't feel like the waiting part is essentially worth it. And it's like, I hate mm-hmm. to, to say it, that way because it does come across as not patient but um when you have something Mm -hmm. ready to go it's hard to sit on it for x amount of years and yeah you know i almost equate this to you know um paying insurance i hate the concept of paying insurance everyone has to do it because right somewhere down the road you need insurance for something right but I hate spending hundreds right. of dollars on something that you never use. I almost equate it to um, right. to paying for a gym membership and not showing up for it. And that's what yeah. insurance is. You're paying right. until something happens right. and then you're covered. Right. Right. You're sitting on an unpublished. Essentially. Book. And you're, you're you know sitting what I mean? On- you're sitting. That's that's what's happening. Yeah, you're sitting on a book that you have completed, that you have created, and you want to show to other people, but you're sitting on it. It's hush-hush until one of those agents gets back to you. You know what I mean? You can't just turn around and start shopping it while uh, you're sending it around to literary agents because, you know, that that could sabotage that process. Literary agents, um, you know... They, they, they might have they might be trying to get you hooked in with a publisher that says no simultaneous submissions, which basically means they don't want your work to be submitted to another publisher at the same time. They certainly don't want it to be published and have a readership on Amazon while they're reading it. So your agent could have just been fixing you up with this awesome publisher and, you know, then you turned around and messed it up. So. So yeah, like you really have to uh, kind of sit on it if you're going to trust the process and send it around to yeah, agents. And I think that's another reason why I want to get into the literary agent um, field. Um, I feel like it's not fair for younger authors. And I say younger authors as if, you know, anyone can't be an author, you know, everyone can. Um, you know, so, so right. beginning Starting authors, let, uh, let me rephrase it to be that beginning yeah. authors have a hard time getting literary agents. Why? Because they don't look at your work because they have so many different submissions. And my my area of understanding is that 
there are a lot of great stories on the independent circuit. And there's a lot of people who, you know, um, could be submitting or have submitted and gotten rejected that, you know, would like that, you know, area of expertise. And to be completely honest, I think there should be literary agents for those beginning authors, you know? So I think that's a big mm-hmm. part of the market Absolutely. that people are ignoring or um, mm-hmm. not really considering as much. How often do you uh, hear of literary agents that go looking for independent authors? How often do I hear of I it? Mean, that's not really thing, ever. Though, because the, the traditional sense of a literary agent is to wait until somebody submits something to them. They build up their brand and their right. brand brings in people. But, you know, what about the people mm-hmm. that need literary agents that they won't give them the time of day, you know? And that's that's what I mm-hmm. want to look into. Right. Right. It's also it's also, um, you know, we could talk about publishing because publishing, you know, is such a multifaceted discussion that there's there's, you know, 25 different topics we could hit. But, you know, so not to uh, take us too off topic, but there are all kinds of bots and scams on social media where people get direct messaged and the person says, hi, I'm an agent who's been working with this house for the past 14 years. I've published 80 books. Uh, Definitely send me your manuscript so I can hook you up with this person. Absolutely not. That's like one of those phone calls where they ask you for your credit card number. And that happens all the time in the indie publishing world, among other things. So you made me think of that when you mentioned literary agents who go searching for self-published authors. You know, it's the dream for a person like that to come seeking you out. And that's where the scammers come out. So that's another thing that could discourage somebody from interacting with the self-publishing community much or taking any help. That might be something that drives them towards you know, searching for an agent that has a credential that has, you know, an ID number. But, you know, it's such a huge topic. We had six things that we were going to go over. Um, And, you know, you only hit two, you know, and, you know, yeah, it's like, what, 45 minutes into this conversation. And, you know, uh, yeah, I I hate that stigma. And I've talked to people that have been affected by that state, that that stigma. When uh, Tammy was on, she, uh, touch base on that as well um what i'm talking about is what i'm looking for is a way for the self-publishing community to grow together like one true promotion is all about absolutely um, putting information out there um i would love absolutely love 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 if somewhere down the road when i have a little bit more experience in the markets um um, publishers everything of, of that nature um that i could give advice to um, authors and you know might not necessarily have to do that for money you know just like hey if you're looking for something this is this is a good place to start you know and i i think especially absolutely with Montreal, absolutely our goal has always been to give back to community and for me looking into literary agency is i would like to be able to give back to young authors who might be in my position currently mm-hmm. where you know i'm going through the process essentially blind um, and I'm, you know, networking with yep. other people who have been sort of guiding me, um, you know, through that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you've done so for me very successfully, I might add. You know, you're, um, for those of you who don't know, um, do, I have, do I have time yeah. to tell yeah, people a little story, Andrew? 
So for those of you who don't know, Andrew and I became One True Promotion over summer of 2019, basically agreeing that we wanted to promote each other, but also promote, uh, expand our community and promote other people as well and deliver whatever knowledge we have to the writers of tomorrow and basically, you know, do exactly as Andrew was describing. Um, and that was his, you know, vision for One True Promotion. And I wholeheartedly agree with it. But the way that this conversation even started the way it was I approached Andrew saying, hey, do you want to do this? And the reason that I did that was because you were already doing that for me when it was just Alec running his own show over here. And you and I was looking for people to come with me to events and to send word around about my books and, you know, get people interested and get people reading and to write up a pitch for me and to pitch it to people who were, you know, coming face to face with us. I mean, you were always there and you worked around the clock for me. It was amazing. So why do I tell this story? The reason I tell this story is that this is in your blood. You know what I mean? I think that this is an excellent path for you. You are absolutely the guy who can do that for beginning authors. Like, absolutely. Because you did it for me. And because of that, I am not doing this alone. I have a partner. And uh, it really is exceptional. So... I definitely endorse you uh, stepping onto this path. And the only reason I brought up the bots and the scammers and stuff was just to say that, you know, that this is uh, another reason that your service, your, your legitimate service could be so valued. Yeah, see, people don't, people don't realize that. But like my goal, like I said, is the, the brand new author, right? So it's like, I, I feel like that's where I want to stay. Uh, like, even if I did, you know, take off or whatever, you know, I, I really want to stay in that, in that zone where I'm helping new authors, you know? Absolutely, man. And I think that, you know, and uh, you're also a teacher uh, who, who has an affinity for, you know, working with younger people. So, I mean, it's, it really is just who you are. And I think that, you know, it's shown from the beginning to end of your 365 day challenge just how much you've grown, not just as a talent yourself, but, but as a person who can engage and can inspire and can educate and can, uh, you know, compel and draw people in and establish uh, interest. I mean, that's all kind of come out over the course of your challenge. So I really think you are uh, really stepping onto a path here. It's going to be a, uh, quite a journey for you. I think it's leading somewhere Thank good. Thank you for the kind words. But, um, you know, we're running on 50 minutes uh -huh. now, so I think it's a good time for us to take a nice little break um, and talk about, of course, Alec Dangio's Dropline. It's the only place that you can go to uh, for um, that quality um, promotion and um, that quality engagement towards fans. Um, so uh, we're going to take a nice little break here and, and you guys will get to listen to that commercial. Then when we come back, we're going to focus on the last three um, bullet points of this article. Are you an author, poet, artist, or gamer? Do you have something to promote? Would you like to reach online viewers completely free of charge? Alec Pangea's drop a line is a live stream for you. Drop a line streams through Instagram Live featuring Alec and you. Come on Drop a Line for a casual live chat where you could spend up to 45 minutes promoting your book, game, website, company, and more. 
Drop a Line has already featured guests phoning in from countries overseas and viewership is growing day by day. Alex's dream is to network with as many talented artists as possible and see their shared following grow exponentially. Drop a Line is committed to that goal and you could be his next guest. Drop a Line streams Thursdays at 9 p.m. on Instagram Live. To get in on Dropline, follow him at Alec Pangea Author on Instagram to schedule your spot. Dropline is a really awesome uh, promotional tool. Um, I've been on it several times. It's done wonders for my writing career. I know it's actually helped a lot of people um, with their own projects. So if you're looking for some way to promote your business, Dropline is the place for you. Buying a used car? Make sure previous owner isn't included. Transporter of Souls by Tammy Vreeland. Get it now at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Sometimes the dead don't rest. <laughs> and welcome back to Talk is Best. Uh, we are going over the misconceptions between um, publishing traditionally and self-publishing. We're reading an article from DurantsPublishing.com. It's an interesting little article that I found um, talking about those misconceptions of um, both formats of publishing. We're on um, numbers three, four, and five of the article um, that's looking at control, marketing, and of course, what everybody everybody wants, whether you're an author or not, success. Mm-hmm. So, uh, kick us right off here. Number three is control. So, um, what they mean by control is uh, when you typically uh, publish a book, you're um, you have two things going on, right? If you sign with a traditional publisher, um, you're often signing your books away. Um, you know, signing the rights to your books away. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're with a um, independent publisher, um, such as like Seven Horns, yep, um, you might be fortunate enough to get with somebody who's a little bit more experienced in the market without selling your um, mm-hmm. your rights away. Yep. Or you can go to self-published route, which you have full control of your book. So you got everything. Number three here is talking about how much control you have in the publishing process. Mm-hmm. What you so, got for me? So you have this idea that um, when you're publishing a book, you're working with giving the publisher total control of your material or not, right? So um, because of this concept, authors may end up with revisions to the book or cover designs, which they might not be happy about, right? Yeah. So the first facet of this article when it's talking about control is talking about um, that idea of how much control do you have on the content that you're putting out? 
So, for example, Sanguinary Song is 100% um, approved by me, right? Um, everything that is showing up in Sanguinary Song is my decision to put in. Um, everything I'm happy with um, going forward. But, um, you know, one of my big fears about traditional tr- traditionally publishing is you might be set on a particular cover, right? You go to yep. your uh, favorite cover designer and they give you an awesome cover design. But um, your traditional publisher says, no, we're going to go a different way with it. And you just absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that as somebody who's pursuing the traditional market. Um, how, how important is control to you? And um, how important do you think control is to an author in general? I I guess it's kind of like two entirely different questions there. Well, I'm going to answer those in reverse. I think that the second one, how how important is it to an author? I think it really depends entirely on the individual. Um, I think some people need to be in control. I think some people are willing to give away control. I think some people need to be in control of some parts of the process and might be um, you know, very disconcerted if those parts of the process are um, where they're, they have no control. Uh, like me, for instance, my biggest fear is that an auth, uh, publisher would want to change the story. You know what I mean? Like, you know how I watch movies. You know that like my favorite scene in, uh, give me a movie. Lord of the Rings. You know, you, you know that my favorite like my favorite scene in Lord of the Rings is a look that Elijah Wood gave to the camera that said something or a certain note of music on Howard Shore's score that, you know, shouted back to a a conversation from two movies ago. You know what I'm saying? You know how I am. You know how, how, how much I love like kind of the small intimate details of a story. So a publisher might see a certain, you know, interaction between my characters or a certain, um, you know, article of clothing a character wore or a certain way that they carried themselves or whatever, whatever tiny little detail I felt said something major about the story. If, if you can find it, they might, uh, you know, want to erase that stuff and go in a totally different direction with that scene because maybe they think that, um, you know, another image in that scene would be more marketable. You know, more people would be uh, retweeting that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it would yeah. be m- very much for the sake of business and success, but not for, you know, but at the cost of me telling the story, all the parts of the story that were important to me. So that to me is my biggest fear. It's the book interior. It's the book content. When it comes to covers and back covers and how the book is pitched Um, for the most part, I'm pretty comfortable with giving away control. I kind of just want them to manufacture it, the exterior in a way that is eye catching and ensures me that people are going to pick it up. Um, so those are parts of the process. I'm, I'm, I would be thrilled to have a successful business person tell me, here's what we're going to design. And this is what it's going to do for your sales. Great. Let's do it. But if they try to start ghostwriting me, then I have a problem. Well, I mean, and that's just the thing, too, because this is what the article is really highlighting. It's the idea of um, if you were a traditional publisher, you are signing over all of your creative control, essentially. Yeah, Because once you sign on that contract, you're giving them the right to make whatever changes is necessary 
mm-hmm. where you might be comfortable with one part of it. You might not be essentially comfortable with the other, but then you're caught in the contract. Right. Um, right. It's I not even, it's, go ahead. it's not even that you're unwilling to make a change. It's that they can do it without consulting you. You and, know, yeah, you could I feel like that's a big problem for um, right. certain authors. Right. And like me particularly, uh, I know what sanguinary song it can't be. And I know you've heard this like um, over and over again, because I've said it to you over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I got to be very careful with how I word this because I don't want to give anything away. But I have a particular character who is um, a very popular um a very popular mythological figure. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm gonna just leave it at that. Leave who, it at that. Yep, that's good. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that. But they're gonna they're gonna recognize them. They're <laughs> gonna recognize them, but yeah. you might not recognize them um, with the protect uh, the particular spelling of their name. Right. That's all I'm gonna say. Right. Exactly. Um, in terms of revealing who that said person is. Nope, that's good. But um, if um, I think the way that I use that particular spelling, yeah. Um, for example, what is not the popular way? Um, right. The popular way is the other way. Right. Um, which the incorrect the traditional way. Publisher, the, yes, the traditional publisher might try to change it back. Exactly. That's a great example. That situation, and for right. me, um, that's something that I'm unwilling to relent with because I'm going for the actual historical spelling Act, yeah. of the person right. as opposed to the known spelling of Sam. It, cap- it captures a completely different character. It captures a character that might have actually been real in real life and recorded into history. Not, um, you know, not a fictionalized version in, in this decade. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. And, that, and, and I'm, I'm assuming to you that capturing that tone and that atmosphere about the character because the character is real in this context of this story is very important to you. So, um, so yeah, that's such a great example because the publisher might think, well, this will be more recognizable. So we got to go this way, but to you, it just completely, you know, destroys that entire, um, tone you were setting. You know what I mean? It it feels wrong. It feels like, it feels like a plot hole. Cause it, cause it, it, as real as you see this story, that's not what the spelling would have been. Well, no, and it's not only that, but I feel like, um, given what you were saying there, the spelling of the person's name, um, in question, um, adds to the, um, to my brand of that character, you know, right, it, right. It, what, it is what makes that character unique and stands out right away off the top of the page, because I right. guarantee when somebody reads it, their first thing right. out of their minds. Mm-hmm. And I know this is what happened with my editor. That's spelled wrong. That, that's the first thing that came into my editor's mind when she saw that. And I was, right. and I put a little note right under it. This is the, original spelling of said character's name right and this is the name that i am choosing to go with right (laughs) right right and the thing is like stands out for better or for worse but the thing that you really i think so successfully highlight there is that you can have those talks and debates with your editor and continue working together and working together successfully and you might be uncompromising on certain things and you might yield to some pretty good experienced advice 
on other things. But when you sell the rights to the work, you're not, it's not even that they might not even whitewash the story. It's that you're losing control. Absolutely. And I think that's what an, uh, a first time author really has to balance. How right. much creative control are they willing to give away right. for a chance at being one of the three? Right. And I think that's what the, um, I think that's what the, um, the idea of the show has really become. If you want to become a part of the three, then self publishing isn't for you, or at least right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you get past the whole creative control part. And then, of course, you get the number four, which is marketing, which is the, the oh, part yeah. that the two of us are really trying to master at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, and this one has the most um, misconceptions, oh, boy. Um, according to this article. So, you know, um, just to highlight a few things, it says that most people seek traditional publishers. And, of course, this is still um, DorancePublishing.com. Um you know, of course, I'm doing my historical duty to uh, refer to um, the article that I'm reading to so that at any point anyone can go and look for it. Um, getting back to what I was saying here, though, um, you know, most people seek traditional publishers primarily for their marketing abilities, while admittedly mm-hmm. they do their best marketing strategies um uh, why they do have the best marketing strategies available, it has become more rarely used over time. Um, and what they mean by that is um, uh, essentially um, their marketing strategies are so well known at this point to yeah. the um, self-publishing market yeah. that um, the self-publishing market is able to kind of capitalize on the um, same strategies that right. those businesses do. Um, the only exception being that they have more money and more influence right. than a self-publishing firm. Right. right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very, very interesting. I, I'm kind of curious how you feel about that. Can you read it to me again real quick? Real quick. Yeah, so it says that most people seek traditional publishers primarily so the biggest reason why they search traditional publishing is for their marketing ability so like for example you were saying um how you want to get known to a wider audience right and they say while admittedly they do have the best marketing strategies available in terms of influence and all it um has become more rarely used over time about that Um, because of the self-publishing market, it, it kind of imploding the way it is now. So this could be this could be a situation where I take this new series that I'm writing and I try and I query it out to get into some of these you know legendary houses, uh, if if you will. But the strategies that um, I'm thinking of that were used in the 20th century might not even be used by the team I would get. And moreover, and more, and moreover, um, just by researching all of that, I might be able to re- replicate those strategies on my own or on our own, rather, together. Right. Yeah. You you just have to um, consider whether or not um, the the time is worth waiting, and if yeah, um, their resources is worth um, right. saving you money. Essentially. Right. Right. Um, um, my thoughts on that is. My thoughts on that are, you know, I mean, it, it, like I was saying before, my goal is to reach a certain level of success. 
um, by whatever means are available to me. So, I mean, you know, if there's a cost efficient and, uh, you know, creatively controllable manner of doing that um, as a self-published author, and I had the confidence that I would be able to pull it off, I would, uh, I would totally just kind of, you know, take the plunge as an indie author for the rest of my career. So uh, this is pretty interesting, too, because they're bringing back up literary agents. For uh, This is what it says. For example, if an agent is choosing between two books of the same quality from the same genre, most agents aren't going to look to see if um, are, are going to look to see if either author has any sort of fan base or following as a deciding factor. If an author has already attained a following, they know this book will be safer investment. That's very, very interesting because um, if you remember on tip, I shared Jane Friedman's uh, website and the article she wrote in which, um, and I've read this in a couple other places too, where she said it's, it's very um, dangerous to shop um, a self-published book, especially if it is part of a series to, to uh, literary agents because um because because that um, publishers are so unlikely to look at it if it has any kind of a publication preceding it, um, so that's very interesting to hear from Durant's. Yeah, and you know what? I think it. I think the way that the paragraph is worded, I think it means both things, like what uh-huh. you're thinking about and what I'm thinking about. So what you're right. thinking about is what you read is that if um, you published Barker's Rules and Living in Fear in the self-publishing market and then try to look for traditional publishing right or um book three phantom wound yeah um you would have a harder time right. um essentially right. what this is saying is that um if you have two authors who submit at, with the same genre one of the first things that these um literary agents are going to look for is who has the bigger social media following who has the bigger um you know um literary following so the way I kind of interpret it is not only um, is your series taking off, right? But because um, we, we, you can actually uh, traditionally self-publish old manuscripts. It just depends on what company you go with, right? Right. Because there are companies that do it. Right. But specifically what you're looking at here, and I think we should really highlight this, is it doesn't necessarily have to be your same book series right the way this paragraph is wording it is it's looking for any type of following that might distinguish you from the other person so somebody like tammy for example who has eight published books yep is has a much more arguably bigger following than say me right def- definitely hasn't put any books out and this is my first right so that's right. that's how I interpret that. Um, right. She has a better so shot at it. That yeah. she has a better shot at making it big because she has an established following right. as opposed to me who's just breaking out into the market. Right. And I think that's a strong argument for self-publishing your earlier work to grow a following as opposed to going straight to literary agents and having no following and waiting for somebody to take a chance on your book without any established following. Whereas you self-publish, you get some readers, you get some reviews, you get some people talking about you, you get some people engaging with you, you show up at some book signings, you take some pictures, you take some videos, 
you uh, you know, you gather together some quotes that people have said about your books, and then you have all that on your basically your resume when you are being investigated by by a literary agent. So that makes perfect sense, and I think it's definitely a, a you know, well, that must be ha- you, even you. You're publishing your first book. That must be uh, quite catalytic for you. Yeah, I mean, like that, that was my one excuse for why I didn't want to traditionally publish is that I wanted to make a following beforehand. And it wasn't so much as that it was my goal to traditionally publish. I would like to do that one day. But um, for me, it was I wanted to get better as an author, not that I'm not good now. Like, I feel like I've grown leaps and bounds, you know, since I started my my idea behind it is I would like a little bit more experience in the market distributing um pretty much everything we're doing now with one true promotion before i start looking at other facets and sort of jumping you know um into the deep end right off the bat right definitely yeah and that's how i did it i have had two years marketing barker's rules and living in fear my first two books before i even started thinking about this um so i totally get that and i would even recommend it so um, here's an interesting little tidbit. So um, the article is talking about a piece that was done in Forbes magazine, uh, very reputable rep- um, source. Um, and what they said in, in, the, in, the, in Forbes was that while many authors assume that they're getting a traditional publisher means that the publisher will take care of marketing chores. The truth is that traditional publisher will only put real marketing muscle behind one or two books per year that it truly believes has a shot at becoming a bestseller. If a publisher brings out a hundred books per year, it's expecting that one or um, one of those will outsell the other 99 combined. So unless you're lucky enough to be that one book, you're essentially on your own. That's an interesting quote to me. And And I have a Forbes magazine. And I can definitely verify that because I've spoken to people who have studied the industry and they have warned me that even if I scored a, um, an acceptance by a traditional publisher, I would still be doing a lot of the uh, promotional work that I'm doing now. I've been warned about that many, many times. I can tell you that one is and, and we're talking about Forbes magazine here, which is a legitimate you know, source. Um, I can definitely tell you we're we're talking facts right now. And, you know, <laughs> it's interesting that that is a fact because yeah. you invest all that time into traditional publishing. You, you're the, th- you know, lucky three. And now you're saying that out of those three, um, they might be one of 99 that they selected for the year. Right. And, you know, yep. you might be on your own to market your book. I mean, other yep. than them putting you in stores, yeah. um, the media campaign might not be behind you all the way, which, no, is, you're... which is absolutely unreal. When, when right. you think about it, when you sit back and really think about it, um, right. you're putting all that time into getting that their support and for them to not really um, give um, 100% for your book because they see other books as more valuable that really um, blows my mind, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, I wouldn't say it blows my mind, really. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know what I mean? These are, um, you know, if you think about how many books they're getting and how much manpower they have, 
and uh, how many books you typically have seen uh, marketed in this way. You know what I mean? Most books, would you agree or disagree that most books you've read in your life, this is definitely true for me, have been things you spotted while just visiting a bookstore. Whereas Harry Potter, for instance, is something that you heard about. Could have been in your living room, your classroom, the bathroom, on the radio. You heard about it. It came to you. Um, I feel like Harry Potter might be the only book without any help from a movie adaptation that I ever heard of without, outside of it being given to me in school or seeing it in a bookstore. Yeah, you know, it, I, I want to add more to that list too. Like, it's not just a bookstore, but it's like things like Amazon and stuff, right? Sure. So, yeah. Well, um, well, that is a retailer, a store. Yeah. Right. So any store, any store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's that idea that um, somebody else is marketing that for you, and you know, it's 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 Amazon saying, "Hey, you like this book? Why don't you try this one?" Yes. Um, and that kind of counts as you doing it on your own because even though they it got does. you in there. Um, it's based off of your genre and um, your reviews on Amazon. And see, now it makes sense to me. I wasn't too sure about this earlier tonight, um, but it makes sense to me now while discussing that aspect, why self-publishing, self-published authors would be discouraging traditional publishing because self-published authors have access to that much. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially, from everything we've really talked to since we come back, it seems like self-publishing um, has much more tools than traditional publishing would like us to know. I feel like I feel like right. you, you, you're talking about how self-publishing will discourage against traditional publishing, but I could totally see the reverse of that, where it's traditional publishing. Oh well, oh well, no, what I self-publishing. I was referring to the fact that. No, we, we definitely uh, people. There was a stigma on self-publishing in the 20th century and traditional houses. You know, they treated you like you were a joke if you appeared in Vanity Press or if you, uh, you know, put your own book on your website. You were treated like not a real author, which is a huge punch in the gut. And I don't mean to imply that I support that in any way. But you had mentioned earlier tonight that now the reverse is happening where self-published authors aren't saying, hey, go for it if you can. They're saying, oh, no, don't do it which struck me as a little bit odd. But now that you mentioned that um, they might only do as much as get you into the retail store, which I know we can do on our own. Now that makes a lot more sense to me is what I was saying. Yeah. Now I get it. Now I can see where that might actually be discourageable when you have those tools at, at your own disposal. <laughs> right. And that brings us into our last um, part, which is uh, success. And, um, you know, success over here um, talks about some of the things we've already brought up. And um, one of those things we've already brought up was um, the idea of an advance, right? Yes. So this article points out that uh, the typical um, advance that an author could expect to see um, is usually between 5,000 to 10,000 for new authors. That's 5,000 to 10,000 as, um, as a new author. And usually somewhere around 10 to 15% um, of those have, uh, are go to, go to those book sales. So a traditional publisher will typically keep around 85 to 90% of sales revenue, which, 
it, it sounds really good on um on the you know original side of hey i got five to ten thousand dollars for my new book and yeah. uh, i get 85 to 90 percent of the sales revenue but yeah. it's important to note that um this advance that they're giving you isn't cents alone right um because the author won't really see any of the sales until their book is sells more of the initial amount right right exactly exactly yeah so your your literary yeah. agent will typically receive 15 percent of whatever you're making on your book so you know you have this idea where you could spend years trying to re get represented followed by years of waiting for your book to come out and only end up with, you know, you know, just around, you know, 4,000 to $10,000 to show for it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I, I do need to um, clarify that this article um, does seem like it, um, it, um, it gives out information on both. But it seems like it leans more towards self-publishing, which is right. which is okay um, for them to do. But I do like how this article sort of balances the pros and cons oh, yeah. of each, and oh, yeah. kind of clarifies things that you might not understand um, in both facets. So if you're looking to decide one way or the other, um, the uh, just the idea of having this sort of compare and contrast really helps you make up your mind. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And going over it in this much detail and understanding in real, you know, in the real context of your personal business, what all of those, uh, you know, what all of those terms are referring to, you know, which is why I love that we keep talking about this, not just on one show, but all of the shows that you and I are doing. Because between all of these discussions, I'm honestly learning a lot more and putting more into context than I have in the past. So. So uh, they kind of break it down for you here. So they say, um, given that a book is $25, right? And Alan, yep. you're not too um, far off from that price range from your your um, Days with Seven Horns. You, your book was what, 27, 26? 27, 27.99. So um, give, they're sort of going around your, your projections, right? So they're saying oh, yeah. the book is on sale for $20 or $25. You'll make about two fifty a book because you're getting ten percent of um, every book that's sold. Yeah. So you're getting two dollars and fifty cents per book, um, basically. Whereas, like Amazon, for example, um, you know, it's four dollars for you to <clears throat> um, print your book and have it sent to you, right? Um, yep. So if you sell your book for ten dollars, you're getting a six dollar profit margin. But yes. of course, you have to pay back all the money you spent to create it, right? Right, yeah. Which is an important note to take into consideration while um, self-publishing, you can make more money back per book. But it is also important to, um, and this isn't, a, this isn't an argument, but it's also important if I could add that we're living in the advent of self-publishing companies That's and right. small publishing houses and boutique publishers and all kinds of publishers that are that are will provide you a team but are not the traditional houses that are not the multi-million dollar companies that have that are taking those you know um, thousands and thousands of submissions they're just kind of a local publisher that can get you in that can basically um, get you into a bookstore but it's important to note that um, that um, you uh, uh, self-publishers and 
uh, people who work with smaller publishing houses are likely dishing out the same amount of money. So when deciding whether you're going to run your own independent business or whether you're going to work with a person who wants to publish you and they're showing you a contract and all that stuff, really look at those, those royalties. Really look at those royalties, the royalties in your contract from this business partner you're, going, you're trying to sign with and the royalties offered to you by Amazon. Because the, the reality is no matter what you choose, you're going to put out the same amount of money to do it. Right. And, you know, and they, the article even goes into this saying that there's a hard truth that every author, traditional or self-published, has to accept, right? And that's yes. the hard truth here is that no one can guarantee book sales, not yep. even traditional publishers. Absolutely. And Absolutely. as people as that to hear, um, you have this idea that um, they have a statistics for it. 54% of traditionally published authors earn less than one thousand dollars per year how about that i mean it doesn't surprise me that this is the first time nope. my mind hasn't been blown since we read this article right i know um, i know so yep. the same study uh here states that only the top two percent of total authors make a good living off of their work and a good living sure. being something over a thousand dollars right because that's the yep. the the measuring mm-hmm. stick yeah um, so self-publishing never gives an advance to an author, but you, in terms of revenue, self-published authors retain much larger percentage of their salaries because, yep. you know, Hey, you're the only per- you're only person really doing this. So the only people you have to pay back are the people you paid to make the book. Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, I already, you know, as a self-publishing, um, or self-published author will be self-published. I had to take into consideration how much money I was going to have to uh, make up. And, um, you know, I sort of did the math and it came out to about 100 books. I have to sell 100 books before I make back the money that I spent to um, buy the cover, to buy the editing services, to buy the sculpture. Um, Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To... to to pretty much anything they had to do with advertising or putting the book together. So that's $100. Yeah. That's not taking into account how much money I have to pay for, like, say, shipping or the $4 per book or um, even to take into consideration the events and the supplies I buy for the events. Right. So right. where it's $100, the pay- payback that 600 mm-hmm. that, you know, you originally invest – yeah. Um, you still have to take into consideration the um, money you're going to be spending going oh, yeah. forward. And you know what? Just to really drive this home, uh, no pun intended, let's even throw in the, the another um, expenditure, which is the gas you spend to go to a book signing. Yeah, and whether you're because, published or not, you're going to have to spend that gas to get there. Right, because like one thing you definitely should not assume, especially with all of the reflections we have from tonight, is that you're going to have a team that can go out there and promote it for you while you stay at home. I mean, at the very least, they're, um, you know, forget about how much work they're going to have you doing online and at your computer, um, even though, even though, you know, you might think that traditionally publishing might afford you some time away from that. Um, they're definitely not going to drive around and uh, make all your public appearances for you. I think that even goes for the um, for the really successful ones. So, you know, like all your daily costs, you know, gas, lunch, um, parking, uh, tolls. I mean, 
all of that factors in to the cost that you spend on manufacturing, to the cost that you spend on branding, to the cost you spend on copyright. I mean, all of that, you're basically putting out all of that to do anything. So um, go ahead, finish. No, and I was just going to say, and which is why, you know, it really, it really does uh, make it very academic, not stigmatized at all. Stigmas are fake. You know what I mean? Stigmas are just, you know, rumors that were spread about a person or an industry or a demographic that are completely untrue because somebody was talking smack and they had no idea what they were talking about. Um, it's really very academic for you to sit down and just read through um, royalties and percentiles and benefits of traditional houses and boutique publishers and self-publishing deals and Amazon publications, Kindle Direct Publishing, which is exclusively through Amazon. I mean, sitting down and going through all that and just saying, here's my best option is, is not the easy way out. It's, it's academic. It's the, it's the thing a, a, an intelligent business person would do. So here's, should do. Yeah. here's the big question for you. Who makes more money in the long run, traditional publishers or self-published authors? If you had to take a guess what this article said, it, one way or the other, which one would you think? Um, my assumption would still be a traditionally published author. I could be wrong, though. The article actually suggests that it actually would be self-publishing. Really? That you make more money on in the long run. But, you know that's taken into consideration, you know, um, that you didn't hit it big with traditional publishing. Right. Yep. So, uh, you know, when you, when you start looking at the bottom barrel of the traditional published authors, you're looking at a thousand a year. Right. Um, unfortunately you have this idea that the industry is super competitive. Right. So argument's sake, you could make a thousand dollars a year as a traditional author. Um, but, um, as a, uh, self-published author you can make a little bit more than that if you're lucky enough to have the right marketing if you're lucky enough to have the right um, events if you're lucky enough to have the right people at the right time you know what i mean that over time um self-publishing is more marketable more valuable than traditional publishing and that's their opinion they think that with the um, with the less waiting, with the ability to sort of price it at, at your will, that it's more beneficial to you than traditional publishing. So, uh, hey, Alec, given um, that information I just dropped on you, how do you feel about that? I feel, um, you know, I'm definitely weighing my options. I'll tell you that. This was a this was a terrific conversation. Um, thank you for having it with me. Definitely send me that article, please. I mean, it's I think it's really um, fantastic that we're able to talk about this and share this with people who are listening, and we can all kind of make the most of this experience. You know, however, whatever route we choose. Yeah, and like just to just to clarify uh, for anybody who um, might be thinking about the article, it was written in I think it's 2018. The article said. Um, so it, it's fairly recent and the statistics that it's dating, um, only go as far back as 2016. So they're really trying to use more current up to date, um, information 
And yeah, it's actually March of 2018. So just, just under two years ago, this article was written. Um, so um, with that aside, um, the one thing I do want to note before we sort of ride off into the sunset and kind of give our social media accounts, now that I think about it, is um, Alec Pangea is doing this um, as a regular series on uh, tip on uh, Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock on Instagram Live. Um, you can follow him at? Alec Pangea Author Instagram. That is where you can see my show tip. And if you want to swing over to at one true promotion on Instagram as well, that'd be great. Cause we really need the followers. Also look out for my tweets at a Pangea author on Twitter. So you can know and be reminded of when the shows are airing. So if you are really enjoying where this conversation is going and sort of want to um, catch the next segment and Alex um, chats about uh, the publishing market and um, sort of uh, independent and pu- uh, traditional publishing qualms, um, you can catch his uh, new his new show tip, and again that is at eight o'clock on Instagram Live on his Instagram account, Alec Pangea author. Um, it was really cool to sort of do this show and um, sort of have it bounce off your older show because I, I honestly think that um, this past week's tip is um, very eye opening, um, if not just for me but for others who I've talked to who have um, tuned into the show. Well, don't forget, and not that you're forgetting, but to our viewers, don't forget, Andrew and I may very much be individuals, but we are also sharing um, a social media platform and brand of business known as One True Promotion. And all of the shows I do and Andrew's Talk is Best right here on uh, the Anchor app are sponsored by One True Promotion and the content you can find on all of them comes from the One True Promotion brand. So this is what I've been waiting for, for us to like do the same topics from show to show to show and have the shows mingle with each other. So when people check in on us, you know, every Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, they're not missing anything. They're literally not missing anything because they're just following one true promotion. And this is what's in the news. Absolutely. And, you know, um, we can actually continue this conversation um, at a later date, I'm sure. I know I'm probably going to make some appearances on tip at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, don't forget, uh, for the viewers at home um, that are listening, you can actually um, uh, join in on the conversation. Um, if you have an idea for a topic that you want me to kind of go over or you want to put your input in about a past show, um, simply just leave me a message on the Anchor app. All you got to do is look for Talk is Best. On the Anchor app, go to voice message. Leave a voice message. It's super easy. It only takes a few seconds. Um, go ahead. You can make it as long or short as you want. Talk about um, any of the topics here and we'll share it on Talk is Best. Um, we love our fan participation. We've had a few people um, that have called in and I, I love, I love, love, love my fan base. My fan base is the best fan base ever. And I'm not just saying that because I'm getting ready to publish in, in about a month. Um, you guys really are fantastic. And I would love if you guys follow us on One True Promotion or at One True Promotion at um, Instagram and, of course, on Facebook. Um, give our um, One True Promotion page some love. I mean, we, we want to try to get them um, past me in followers. I just hit 500. Let's get them over 500, right? Let's get us over 500. Let's do it. 
All right. And that's our show for today. I just want to thank Alec uh, for continuing his um, show tip here on Talk About It. Uh, ooh, Talk About It Tuesdays on my mind. I oh, boy. Um, <laughs> such uh, here on Talk is Bass. It's <laughs> all right. It happens. <laughs> oh, boy. But um, yeah, uh, I think what we're going to do next show is we're probably going to look at um, either the crisis episode that I've been promising or um other facets maybe like this where i find an article and uh kind of get inspired to um bring the issue to the foreground here Uh um so thank you guys for all watching i'll catch you guys later talk is fast is sponsored by one true promotion if you like what you see subscribe to talk is best through the anchor app and while you're there check out our record a message function where you can actually record a message and get that broadcasted on the show